This is Radio Free XP Season 1. Today, I'm joined by Joshua Oresti to talk about his pairing journey. My first experience pairing was actually, I would say it was pretty pivotal. It was when I was an English teacher in Japan because I went from being a solo developer uh, working in a language lab at MIT to then teaching English in Japan and as a pair. And so I always had to stand in front of the class and, and work side by side with another person. I really loved the way that that felt. When I came back to the US, I found a job at uh, MathWorks working on a Rails app and it was a closed door kind of culture. So I would come into work and I would try to say hello to people and sometimes I would find people who would say hi back, but, but not that many. And, uh, and I ended up getting really lonely working in that office by myself all the time. And I was reading articles about pairing and started to realize that the only way for me to um, have a sustainable development life, to be able to say work on different projects from the one I was working on, was to find a way to make pairing happen. And so I tried to bootstrap pairing at that company and I tried to sell it as an individual contributor, very low on the totem pole. And I found it really hard. I tried for about five years and I, I had some, <laughs> I mean, I had some, oh, was it that long? It felt like five years. Maybe it wasn't quite five years, but it was, it was, it was a long time um, in development years. And, and then, but I was also very insecure about my skills and I didn't feel like I had um, a leg to stand on interviewing at a company like Pivotal. So I remember when I actually found the job posting to, uh, to well, it was actually a copy and pasted Pivotal Labs job posting that I applied to. I recognized it because I've been looking at the Pivotal Labs job posting and I saw this one. I was like, this looks like the same thing, but like poorly, <laughs> poorly copied. And uh, do, do me yeah. a favor and recount that job description, that that posting as best you can. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, I remember. What do I remember about it? I remember I remember it. It mentioned pairing, I think. Um, I'm not sure if I can remember the posting that well, but I do remember it making it was clear to me. <laughs> um, and. And so I did, I applied to this job and I got a call back and my thinking was there can't be that many people who would apply to this. Uh, and so I, I got a call back and I ended up getting an interview and, uh, and I did pretty well on, um, on the RPI and, and then, and then I had actually a very interesting dilemma because I was going through a couple of recruiting methodologies and I actually got uh, a call from the, uh, from, from Pivotal Labs through another channel that they might be interested, but I'd already gone through like two rounds of interviews work for uh, EMC. <laughs> and, and then when I, when I divulged that I was going through this thing with EMC, the, the, um, the folks from lab said, well, we're actually helping them hire you. So we can't really continue unless you were to say no to this one. So I said, all right, I guess I'm gonna go with the one that I'm already further along in. And, and that long story short, I ended up getting hired working for EMC and, uh, that was in Boston. I will skip over how I ended up in San Francisco. <laughs> um, but I ended up in the San Francisco Pivotal office, and um, my first experience in that office uh, was that I got placed on the release integration team. I remember pairing like uh, 
it, it was like a fire hose of information, uh, like being plugged into the electric socket. <laughs> you, it was exhausting for the first couple of weeks. Um, I want to touch yeah. that really quick. So first of all, what year is this? That was, oh, when was that? 2015, I think. And who, you were on RHEL Int, and who were your first pairs? My first pairs, uh, so I, I, I paired with um, with Dennis, uh, Leon. Um, I paired, I don't remember who was first. It might have been Dennis. Uh, Chun Yi uh, Lu. Um, I think I said that right. I'm not sure. Um, and uh, David Sabetti and um, Jesse Alford. Yeah. So pretty, pretty good mix of people. And uh, I, I think that was pretty much the whole team at that time. And then the, the PM was um, Amit. Oh, man, what a team. It was a really good team. That, that... <laughs> so that was my first experience. And I was actually on that team for a very long time. So m most pivots would rotate after six months because I was an EMC employee. There was uncertainty around um, how long I could, uh, or whether, whether my, my role was going to continue existing. Like there were all kinds of questions, and so I ended up staying on the team for like a year and a half. Wow. And then, so that's a lot of experience on that team. And then after that, I ended up rotating to Bosch, who Dimitri was the PM of, right at that time. Yep. It was yeah. quite different. <laughs> yeah, that's a different, uh, that's a different yeah. universe. But I, I want to loop back around because one mm. of the key things that people need to understand is what you said. It's like it was exhausting for the first N weeks. Mm -hmm. And so my experience is when I would hire people who had never paired or anything like that, I never paired before I came. Mm. And I, what I would tell people is, look, the first few weeks are going to be so exhausting that you simply can't believe it. Like you can't even go home and watch TV. It's all you can do to just stare at the floor until bedtime for the first three yes. weeks. Is that your experience? Yeah. Yeah. Three, three weeks of that felt like a, you know, multiple years. <laughs> and then um, how, what was the transition out of it? Um, well, it, it began to feel uh, energizing. Um, it, it was kind of like, like exercise, <laughs> you know, after a certain amount of doing it, you, you start to crave it and it's very hard to not have it. And so th there's, the, that to me is the heart of pairing. The thing that I would say after that, like you're going to have enough energy to look at the floor. Mm -hmm. And then I would say in one day, it just turns over. It, it's just like, it's literally like swimming through, you know, jello for the first mm -hmm. three weeks. And then it's like flying, like, like where, yes. and, and the transition is almost, it's, it's nothing. You're, you don't even, you don't even notice you, it. You don't even notice when it, when it changes. It, um, it suddenly becomes like breathing. You, you just need, you need it. Uh, and, uh, and frankly, I mean, that, that was for me, that, that was, that, that became something that was a requirement. I, I don't look at any jobs that don't allow me to do it. Yeah, I, I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about pairing, and here is here's the best summation, and I, I would love your feedback on it. The best summation mm. I've got is that pairing creates a true intimate relationship that is completely, it has no eros in it whatsoever. It's, mm -hmm. it's, not, like, it's not like you yes. want to touch the person next to you. But yeah. you are absolutely, I don't, I don't, entrained. That's really your, your, mm -hmm. your nervous system, your thinking system gets entrained with that person in a way that's a hundred percent productive. It has, I could literally find no downside other than you are now poisoned for solo work. <laughs> that is, that is a fact. Yeah. It's hard to go back. Um, in fact, I, I, yeah, it's very hard to go back. So yeah, I, I think um, I felt like through the course of pairing, I have gotten to know so many people so much deeper than I ever did in the entire rest of my life. 
So I, I consider it as as important as like my my school years when I was beating my friends back then, or in fact maybe even more like deeper friendships than that because I know people that I've paired with I know like like no other. It's it's so difficult to describe to to people outside. So you tripped into one of my favorite. So at Pivotal, if you had a one-on-one and it wasn't going anywhere, there was this kind of standard things you would pull out. And one of them was the stay interview. Mm-hmm. And so like, why are you not quitting today? Like that was, I thought I just, I mm-hmm. love that when I heard it. And so you, you have to go a little bit further than that. So I would say, hey, you started as a how many year developer in 2015 at Pivotal? Well, I think I had been developing, well, I've been developing since 2003, but I had a gap because I went to Japan. So it was something like seven or eight. Maybe. So yeah, seven, seven years is enough to have, that's, that's actually a big phase of a career, right? You are clearly not a beginner at that point. Yes. And so let's play this particular game. Let's say everything you learned in development was value one the mm-hmm. day you started at Pivotal. It's value one. Yes. What today, we're in 2023, so we're like eight years later, mm-hmm. given that value one at the, at the start, what would you say that you're grow? what value have you grown to today? <laughs> I can't even compare it. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, a, it's exponential. I mean, it's yeah, just, it's, ex- so, it's exponential. That's what you have to say. Yeah. You could say it a different way. You could say, hey, look, I added 15 dimensions to what I do that I didn't even know existed on day mm-hmm. one right yeah and that, that right you don't need you don't need a lot of linear space when you have a lot of dimensionality right there's a huge amount of area under yeah. that curve and so yeah, yeah. back so, then i think i thought that the i only thought about myself as a developer um i thought about the uh the the, the code and like the the esoteric of how this thing would work and and so I would get very abstract and very theoretical. I never considered uh, the impact that the software I was building was having. I never considered um, really thinking from the outside in uh, or what, what the business needs were. Uh, at this point, I, I think about the whole business. And I think that is, that is purely because I've been pairing this, this amount of time. Yeah, let, let's. Did you ever have to go in the field with Pip? Because release integration was a tough team. Like, I, you know, do you want to do you want to touch on like what the challenge was with that team? Uh, so, the challenge with release integration was so release integration was the open source side of integrating all of the components for um, for Cloud Foundry. And when I was there, we were working on basically the transition from CF release to CF deployment. Um, CF release was a, uh, was a, um, well, it was, it was basically the whole Cloud Foundry application uh, as Git submodules. And CF deployment was a, a single manifest that described how to combine things together. These ways of deploying were so different that, um, there was, it, it seemed almost like an impossible task to try and upgrade from one to the other with no downtime. And our team was responsible for doing that. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was really eye-opening to watch how, how we built that um, and how we tested that upgrade path and how we rolled it out. I never got to see a customer, but I did work with um, uh, the, the internal uh, Shoot, what was the name of the team? Not PCF, but um, the uh, the internal team that that was running Cloud Foundry, and we were able to help them do that upgrade. That's so that's that where we met, right? We yes. met on we met on PWS, yeah. Yes. Pivotal, PWS, Pivotal web that's Services. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I I believe I met you like right when you started. Like you came on board. I knew about this. I might have even did we do an interview or anything like that. I remember the EMC program. We, we talked a few times. Um, I remember, 
I remember very distinctly at one point, I think you asked me what my, um, what my, my goal was. And, and I said, I wanted to be a pivot. <laughs> and you said, that's a silly goal, which, uh, um, because, I, because I was thinking of working for Pivotal as being like a goal, which was not really like, I mean, I already kind of was a pivot. I was thinking like a pivot. And so it's not really about that. It's about how, how you think and how you act. And long-term, I mean, I, I feel working at Pivotal made me change <laughs> and I'm it, never going to be the same. It, it made my career. There's no, uh, there's no way to say it. I came, I walked into that place after 20 years up and down Silicon Valley, mm. right? And yeah. I walked in and there was, there had never been anything like that. I would talk to guys my age. I'm like, have you ever seen anything like this? And they'd be like, um, no. And I'm like, great. Can you imagine another place like this? And they would be like, there might be a few places, maybe, but they're not working at this scale and they're not mm -hmm. producing software like this. I, yeah. I don't want to go too deep, too deep into that. I want to come back to the team because let, let's be clear about who's on this team. I didn't know you're an MIT grad. So what's your background in MIT at MIT? Um, so I actually wasn't an MIT grad. I worked at MIT, ah. um, which, uh, but I, I worked in the foreign language department, uh, and that's the reason I ended up going to Japan. Um, I did have an interest in in helping, uh, so figuring out how to be as helpful in my role as I could be, and so I found that the best thing I could do was work with professors of different languages and study what they were teaching. Um, so I studied Japanese there. <laughs> have, have you read the book Blindsight that Jesse and I did the first episode on? I know. Well, I'm not going to digress into it, but let's, let, let's, be, let's be clear. So your job is working with professors to figure out how they learn, right? That's, that's, your, that's, that's what mm -hmm. you came to this whole thing with. You don't have a computer science background, correct? Uh, well, I do have a computer science background, but I, do, I would not say... I'm definitely not a hard scientist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's you on that team. It's Jesse Alford, like freelance mm -hmm. genius, essentially. Yeah. It's it's Amit Gupta, who mm -hmm. is a PhD candidate in math at Berkeley, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a big, right. Yeah. Right. Like the horsepower on this team is is totally crazy, and you have this job in this book. It's called like a synthesist. And mm -hmm. so you're sort of a synthesis here putting all, I mean, that's just what you're doing all around. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. yeah. and on, on a team like you were on, this synthesis skill is ginormous. I mean, Jesse is just like a hyper synthesis. That's, mm -hmm. you know, he will, he will bolt a, a concept structure around anything. And then you have a mitt who like thinks in braid groups. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the dimensionality at which you could attack this problem was just, insane and then if that mm. weren't enough you're bolted into a pairing model that allows yes. you to hyper sync these skill sets is that yes am i am i over dramatizing this no no it was it was absolutely um it was absolutely eye opening like the whole the whole experience was fantastic oh i also forgot steve, steve taylor was on that team too and he was also amazing um, yeah, Steve, Steve, Steve was the person, he was most in tune with the client experience of maybe anyone at Pivotal. Is that, is that your experience of him? I, uh, I, my experience with Steve was he was just always a really fun person to talk to. <laughs> he was, he was really bubbly and, uh, but also, um, very into heavy metal. <laughs> I remember, I remember just finding him a very interesting study in contrasts, um, which was, to me, it's, it's just, I, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's unbelievable. Like every team you're on at Pivotal would be orders of magnitude, the best team you were ever on anywhere else. And then you just switch to another one. That's absolutely true. And then you're like, oh, Bosch, G-Mini Crickets, these guys know <laughs> what they're doing, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, Bosch was, Bosch was really cool. Um, I uh, I also I mean while I was on Bosch, uh, Luan and I ended up building Parist, which you you probably remember or a lot of people at uh, at uh, on the fourth floor at least in that building. Um, 
were using pairs to do their standing. So pairs is like a like a stand up uh, or a pairing board, which made it very easy to rotate who was pairing day by day. Um, when I joined the Bosch team, I remember we had a um, we had a pretty sticky uh, pair situation going on. So people would pair uh, with the same people pretty often. And I don't know how much of that is because half the team was remote um, or, or how much of it was just because of the way we ran stand-up. But um, I, I really wanted more opportunities to pair with different people. And so when uh, uh, Tom, I, oh, what was his last name? Tom came back from Germany. <laughs> um, and, and he said, hey, in Germany, they're doing this like random pair assignment thing. And I, I was like, that sounds great. Let's try it. <laughs> um, so we, we were able to uh, push in that direction. And um, I was able to get, the, get sort of a, a pair random switch going and uh, and that that really changed the character of the team pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, I, and so I so yeah so sorry, go ahead. Do, yeah do a little breakdown on that. Why why did that change the the team? Why did it change? Um, well, because when you don't rotate, I, I think you have a tendency to silo knowledge. And one of the uh, so one. That, that manifests in a couple ways. Uh, one is that the tracks of work that people are working on, you don't um, you don't spread information about those tracks because the people who are sticking are going to get deep, and it actually gets harder to rotate anyone off or on to that track of work over time. The second piece is that you don't get as much feedback from different people. Because if you're staring, uh, pairing with the same person day after day, then that person gives you a lot of feedback at first, but then every subsequent day gives you a little bit less. And it's also easier for you to say, well, this isn't them, or this isn't me, this is them, right? So the more that you pair with different people, the more you learn where your rough edges are, because other people will if the same information coming from different sources will eventually help you realize, oh, I need to watch how I do that. <laughs> and, yeah, let uh, me, let me yeah. touch on the rough edges, right? So one of the things that people, I, I think, don't say out loud when you say, oh, I pair all the time. They're like, mm. I'm never letting anyone inside like that. that. I mean, I think literally that's what I see them saying to themselves inside. They're like, mm -hmm. no, one, no one is ever going to see that I can't type or that I can't do math or that I, you know, I have to look up every basic computer science thing. People mm. just, and so uh, when you say rough edges, how did you look at it before you understood what pairing was doing for you? And then how, how do you think about it now? Yeah, uh, I, so before pairing, I think I, I blamed myself for my failures to understand things. Um, I would look at what other people were doing and I would compare myself and I would say, ah, I'm, I'm not building this cool website. What I'm building looks so basic and un <laughs> uh, uninteresting. Um, or I would, I would always be beating myself up around how I would do um, design and that kind of thing. Through pairing, I've learned that um, there are different different kinds of skills that are valuable and uh, some soft skills are are every bit as important or more important than the technical skills. I think I'm not, I, I'm a halfway decent programmer but I'm really good at the soft skills required to pair and because of that, a lot of people like to pair with me, which kind of which makes it very easy for me to bootstrap a pairing culture, yeah. which is not okay. something that a lot of people find easy. 
Okay, so now I have to touch on a, a, a different fact that you, you just have to hammer every, there's all these assumptions and all these things you know, but you have to hammer these facts so anyone can understand it. What, on a yearly basis, on a yearly basis, what is the effectiveness of a paired team versus six people working solo on the same problem, roughly in the same space? Oh, geez. <laughs> uh, are we assuming a perfect um, work allocation or... Um... It- Take take the real world example, right? You saw what the it looks real like. Real world example. Yeah, Cloud Foundry was a real world attempt to do this. So, it had rough edges. It had all kinds of. It was not perfect. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't perfect by any means. Your team was actually hammered from all sides. The thing that totally. most people, right? No one it's, in the business. No comparison. Right. Okay. So back <laughs> there, back to the back to a six person solo team versus a six person paired team. There, there's honestly no way to compare. Is that your overall assessment? My assessment would be. Uh, a six-person solo team is way, way less effective um, in, on, on average. I mean, knowing nothing else about them, but the, the reason being um, it's much easier for... They're not probably acting as a team because the, the, typically when people are working solo um, and they don't have lots and lots of meetings to align... They're going to have their own opinions about everything. And that's because people have different sources of information. Um, and it's easier to blame someone else than it is to blame yourself. It's, uh, so it's, it's very common for that kind of team to, to fight in an unhealthy way around what to work on. And so when you ask, well, if you how would you compare them? Well, the, the pairing team is going to actually all be moving in the same direction. And the solo team is going to be pulling in different directions. So you'll make a lot more progress if you're all moving in the same direction. Okay, great. So let, let's just pretend the solo people are like, oh, no, we actually, here's our alignment model. This, we're actually, we, we know the problem you're talking about. Here's our alignment model. We, we have it. We have it. Okay, yeah. great. So... So what's their relative effectiveness? Assuming all six of them are aligned, because sometimes you actually get small teams that are insanely aligned, and it is yeah. it is beautiful, right? Uh, I just saw that rarely, and but I did see it. But I just saw it on every team at Pivotal. I just saw yeah. a, across across seven zero seventy teams. I saw that alignment. So yeah, I don't. I would not believe it. <laughs> fair enough, right? Right. I I I, I worked at a place where four of us actually. Uh, where four of us, we ran our zones so well that it was, it, it was not as close as pairing, and it certainly didn't develop the kind of intimacy where you learn and know. But I've seen yeah. teams that are incredibly good. Like, and, and it is. It's, as you were talking about it, I'm, the only word for what it's like to pair is it's intoxicating. Yes. It, it actually it intoxicates you with a capacity. Yes. Uh, like, I, I am to not care. a... Yeah, yeah. And... I'm not a good programmer either. I have a political science degree. I don't have, I have a deep background in operations. I, I know how to do that. Mm. Like I know how to yeah. do that well. And so that, that was a great, the fact that they could consume my skill set. That, that's really what would happen is mm-hmm. I would show up and, yeah. and people were like, well, what do you know how to do? I'm like, I know how to do this. And they're like, oh, we have that problem. Great. Let's go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how that worked. Um, I, I think, um, so one of the things I really kind of wanted to, to touch base with, with you about was um, some of the work that, that, uh, that I've been doing and why since Pivotal. Um, so it, this, I have to kind of fast forward a little bit to, to get there. But um, so on Bosch, I experienced uh, remote pairing. I had half the team was remote. And, and so I would commute into the office and then put on a headset and, uh, and work with those folks. And I remember back on, in the office, we would have an interrupt pair who was responsible for dealing with Slack interruptions. Because when you were pairing, it was very hard to deal with those. Um, and, and so I, I would basically... I did not have to pay attention to Slack when I was pairing, which was which was awesome. 
And then I went to a company, um, Braintree, which was a subsidiary of, of uh, PayPal, where they had a pairing culture, but it was a stick for a week type pairing culture, which meant that if your pair was out for the day, if they were sick, um, if they were not, if they didn't care about making sure that they were there for you, you would end up solo. And I, I hated that. <laughs> and so I, I was able to, over time, get that team using Paris as well and switch to a, a daily pair rotation, which transformed that team. Um, and, uh, but it stayed within the team. And one of the things that I noticed was that at, uh, at um, Braintree, they had a really vibrant Slack culture, but not as great of a pairing culture for me at the time. By the time I left, it was much better. At least my team was. But um, the, and then I, and then I started at Ardium and, and I noticed that we were really good at pairing, but our, our Slack, well, eventually we, we moved from Discord to Slack, but our Slack was really quiet. And, um, and I, I started thinking about that and I realized we, we were hiring new people, um, some pivots, but some not. And, um, and I realized that uh, if you think about full-time pairing, which would be my ideal, and you think about those people pairing together and not interacting outside of their pair, it looks a lot like quarantine. And if you think about how company cultures are built and you think about the system required to make that happen, it actually, you have to break out of that. You have to get from the sort of the pair, um, sticky pair where you don't get any, say, cross-pollination to a model which allows for those ideas, the culture to build outside of the pairs. And so um, I, I eventually stumbled across a couple of techniques that have been really helpful for us, and I, I wanted to share it because I think other pivots trying to build bootstrap this kind of culture elsewhere may find them useful as well. Um, I don't, I'm not a believer in asynchronous communication as a way to build culture um, or, or spread, uh, say, knowledge efficiently. Um, I believe synchronous communication is key, but the question is how do you make it easy for synchronous communication to happen while also doing full-time pairing um, and having some people that are asynchronous messages coming in via Slack and that kind of thing. And, and I think there's a few things you can do. So one of those things um, that I find really useful is to, to basically start a water cooler conversation in Slack. And what I mean by that is you can send a message that describes what you want to talk about and then if you right-click on that message and click Start um, start Huddle and Thread, then people can join you, and you can start answering the question on your own while you're waiting. And if anybody joins you, then you can, um, you can write down what they say. And this allows people to participate both synchronously and asynchronously. And I found that that's a really useful technique for, say, getting a lot of input and writing it down. The, um, the second thing is establishing a policy where taking a break as a pair is always okay. So taking a break solo is generally allowed, but in the office, we used to take breaks as pairs. And in, in a remote work environment, if you want to have pairs feel good about taking a break and be able to meet other people, um, then allowing a break as a pair is key. So we have a policy that makes that allowed. Yeah. Yeah. It never it never occurred to right because you're absolutely right. Pairs took breaks at the same time. No one took a solo break. Like if you it was a it was like a super rare thing for you to take a solo break. Yes. Um, 
and you would take a break together and it, it pivotal the culture was to play ping pong and i you know at the height of it i was playing eight hours of ping pong a week and <laughs> loved it right like i was yes I loved it. I don't know how much anyone else in the office loved that because I was, uh, say, emotive at the table. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you but build it, those networks and friendship through that, and that's that's key. You're cross pollinated across the whole company, right? Because mm-hmm. th- the best ping pong players are spread all over, and if you actually want to learn, you know, you rotate mm-hmm. in with those folks. Um, yeah. Okay. I don't want to lose this thread though. So you're, you're, I, it, I just love articulating what we act, the behavior we actually did. And you're right. We never took solo breaks. Like it, yes. you had to, you, you yeah. arranged to take a solo break. It was like not a thing. It was and, normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it really allowed back to this intimacy thing. It allowed mm-hmm. you to stay in the same rough space, but to do something mm-hmm. different. I, when I realized that the ping pong thing is, mm-hmm what it was, which was an absolutely also governed universe in computers, you're governed by what the processor will actually do. Yes. And in ping pong, you're governed by what physics will do. You're still governed and, and they're different. They're totally different applications of your skill sets, but they are skill based things. Yes. And so you're yeah. break. Okay. So let, let's see if we can break this down. Your skill, your, you took a paired break. You shifted to a different skill that you could also share yeah. You're taking, and, you're sort of taking that mind space. You're, you're having fun. You're building a network. So you're, you're meeting other people. And so you're building a team at the same time and a team mentality. So all of those things together allow you to build culture, a culture where everybody enjoys working together. And so the, the, Figuring out ways to make that happen remote is a trick. You, you need a policy to make that possible. Uh, and then you also need to make it visible. So this is something I'm still working on because the culture, I mean, it, we have a policy now, but you, it's not quite to the point of where everybody feels like they can invite other people in. And I think showing those uh, breaks when you take them, putting them in Slack because that's where people see things these days remotely um, is a habit. And that's something that, uh, that I'm actively working on and trying to get other people to do as well. And, uh, and so to that point, there's actually another, another trick that, uh, that we stumbled on. So through these water cooler conversations, we started asking the question of how do we make our culture visible um, outside of our pairs outside of the company even. Uh, and, and we came up with this idea, well, the, the way that you do that in today's world is you, you, you well, one way is live streaming. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't think that we're super comfortable with that yet, although I know some companies have done that. But uh, a very lightweight sort of middle ground between that is to define a convention um, of a channel where anybody can, uh, where, where everything that's posted in that channel is an invitation to connect. And so we've created this channel. I've created it in a couple places. It's called Open to Guests. And basically, every, uh, pretty much everything that's supposed to go in there is an invitation for someone to come and watch what you're doing. And, um, this is a really lightweight way to invite people in because you're not disrupting what you're already doing. You're working on the same thing that you already said you were going to do. You can work on a backlog. And as long as it's open to other people from within that domain, within that company or you name it, there's not really any cost to you to share that link. And that means that people who otherwise might be sending you a Slack DM to try and get your attention on something can hop in, see that you're busy, and wait until a good time for you <laughs> to interrupt you like they would have if they had walked up to your desk in the office. Okay, let, let's put a fine point on that. So it wraps up a lot of things. So we did discover in pairing you need an interrupt pair because it just you just cannot establish the flow with another person if you keep breaking the yes. thing. And so the interrupt pair, I mean, interrupt pair was born of grief, right? That was not like, mm-hmm. oh, we were brilliant. We didn't know. It was born of grief. Okay. 
So you've got the interrupt pair. And so part of what you're doing, and, and so I like, you know, I like open to guests. It's, it's all invitations all the time, right? So mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're interested in that part of building cultures, like how do you, it's not just enough to invite people to the dance, you have to actually invite them to dance, right? That's that whole mm -hmm. thing. And so yeah. that's, that's one of those things that it allows, it's like, hey, I'm dancing. Like, and I'll, you know, mm -hmm. I'll, dance, I'll dance like an idiot and you can watch, right? Yeah, like I will dance yeah. like no one's watching, right? And so the way that you, the way that you said it was it's as a, it's as a politeness mechanism mm -hmm. for, for interrupt where, where, because that was another thing at culture, the pivotal culture that you have to deeply understand, which was like, if you were stuck for 20 minutes, you were stuck for 15 minutes too long, mm -hmm. right? The culture mm -hmm. there was like, go find the answer. If you cannot mm -hmm. find the answer, pivot to the next story, like never yeah. sit there and do nothing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So let me, so you, you've combined some of the important things of interrupt pairs here. Hmm. You, you are touching the culture of like, Hey, it's an invite place and you could lurk, right? It sounds the way you, you talked about it. You're like, it would be totally fine to lurk on what you're doing even. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Totally fair. Um, that is definitely a cult. It's a challenge for people like Lurk. there's there's some people who are dedicated lurkers i'm kind of a dedicated lurker i'm like look i'll sit around and i'll absorb the atmosphere until i can make something of it so mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i don't mind lurking i certainly don't mind people lurking at, at what i'm doing so that's interesting um how since but before you said it i literally never thought of it like that i thought i didn't think of it mm -hmm. as an interrupt pair solution i definitely thought of it as an invite solution it's it's you mm -hmm. know it's lovely for that um but actually as an an observation model that's really interesting for new people really interesting mm -hmm. yeah. um uh and then so i i love the lightweight so i i, I can't i just can't resist <laughs> so there are these mimetic models that travel so easily on these chat networks and i, I don't have to mm -hmm. go through any of the bad ones right mm -hmm. we know we know the bad ones but here are good ones so have mm. you thought specifically about those, like, just like this kind of thing? This is a clear, ultra lightweight. To say that it's lightweight is totally hilarious. It's built on a, a crazy stack maintained by a commercial company. True. <laughs> right. Like, it, yeah. you know, it, but it feels effortless to us, right? Once the subscription yeah. is done, it feels effortless to us. Okay. So I, I love that model that you introduced me to as actually what part prompted, like, hey, let's get on and talk about this. Um, mm. Because now you have one in the former pivots slack going. I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and it's had a little traffic, right? Um, it has, yeah. Now we have some user instructions we can post for it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, I think it, it is a critical it's a critical turn to say, hey, this is open for lurking. You know, yeah. like maybe maybe the sub should be lurking fine. <laughs> lurking is fine, yes. Lurking it, is it fine. It totally is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's actually one of the um I mean the great the, one of the things that I love about the about remote specifically is that there is no physical limitation of space. So if somebody's sharing a screen, you can have thirty people in the room watching, and it doesn't affect anything really. It's not. It's a lot different to have thirty people sitting in front of a monitor in an office. So it's this is a superpower of remote work that is hard to replicate in the office. So that's a scale effect, right? So what you're mm -hmm. pointing at is these networks allow a strange scale effect that really is, it's not, it's not yeah. workable. In a, if you structure it, you can have 30 people watching a couple of people do stuff. You, you, you yes. can, but it's a, it's a heavy lift and you're not doing it on like, oh, I want to do this at, you know, in a half hour Tuesday morning that you can't do it like that. No. But, but with, yeah, but with the with online, you certainly can. Okay, well that, that's yeah. a super that's a super interesting observation. Yeah, right? and and then there's another another piece of it. So one of the things I think XP really got right, which is not super obvious. So my experience in Japan informs some of how I think about this. I'm a student of Ikebana, the Japanese flower arranging, and it's one of the um, one of the do. Uh, so. Kado is, is another word for Ikebana. There's also um, Aikido and um, Kendo, like the sword uh, art. And these are apprenticeship models. The, the way that they actually teach is apprenticeship. It's really similar to the way that, that um, XP works. There's all, it's all about learning directly from someone else. That's a most efficient way to, to transfer informal 
tacit knowledge is that direct observation. There's another concept that is practiced in, in Japan that is not as readily understood outside, um, I think, and that's this thing called kengaku. Kengaku is literally seeing and learning. Those are the, it's the two kanji. Um, and basically what, what it means is you learn through observing other people doing what you want to do. And in, in the office, you can imagine it's very easy to observe other people pairing because they're pairing next to you, the next computer over. That's tacit knowledge. Watching how other people pair is something that you're learning while you're in that environment. If you're remote and you're pairing with one other person, there's no way to learn from how to pair, right? There's, there's no way other than dealing with that and trying to do the best you can. You can't learn from watching other people pair unless you have a mob. <laughs> and this enables that. This allows people to come in and watch other people pair when otherwise they'd be solo. Yeah, okay, so I did not know, I knew about apprenticeship I had never articulated the way you just articulated it, which is that was the whole thing about Pivotal is that there was no moment where you were not a pivot. Mm-hmm. The, the arrangement of your interview before you were a pivot was done Pivotal style. Mm-hmm. It felt differently. The interview that you go to is radically different than any interview almost anyone has ever sat through. Yes, absolutely. The, you know, the one day on site is you know, you could see why you do it and it, you should do it, but almost no one does the one day onsite like we did. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's no point at which you're not a pivot. You're in the culture. You are in the apprenticeship. And as you say, mm-hmm. you are absorbing it all. You're, you, when you walk to the ping pong table, you're walking by 50 desks full of pairs. Yes. Right. And you can Absolutely. hear it. Like uh, that's another thing that <laughs> most people have no concept of. Like, what does it hmm. actually feel like when you're in that room? It's, oh, it's loud so to describe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 loud hmm. in a constructive way. If you hmm. are pairing, that noise impinges not at all on you. That's the freakiest thing. Mm-hmm. If you're Doesn't trying to bother work, you, the, yeah. you don't even hear it. Yeah. If you're yeah. solo, it, it's though, actually invigorating. I think. It, I mean. You, you feel, yeah, you're being, you're being borne up by the wave right, is essentially mm-hmm. certainly what it feels yeah. like. Yeah, I'm so glad that I, I love talking to people who have the soulful experience of it mm-hmm. because it, it's, you, you can't, it's hard to describe to anyone. They're like, yeah. you, you sound like you were at a rave. Like, yeah, except it's better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, when people talk about going to Burning Man and how cool that sounds, I'm thinking, eh, I mean, it sounds cool, but it, it Maybe not any more interesting than my normal work. <laughs> yeah, two th- I just two thousand hours a year. That's what you did, and mm-hmm. people paid you for it. I mean, yeah. I- I've said it before. Super lucky. Yeah, uh, super I lucky. Would, I still. I mean, I'm still doing it. I mean, you, I, I, I try. I can't. I can't stop doing it. I need to bring it everywhere that I go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, we we gotta we gotta wrap up. I, I've held you much too long. So, okay. So, uh, open open to guests, right? Mm-hmm. So the call to action here is go to your Slack immediately, make mm-hmm. an open to guest channel, and then post the fact that you're working and lurking is okay. Working yes. and lurking, fine. Yeah, totally, okay. yeah. I'm working here, you can find me at, you know, this, this URL is key, like, because it can be Zoom, it could be Tuple, it could be anything. Uh, I'll be here for this amount of time-ish, uh, you know, because I'll probably be here for three hours or, or the whole day. And then, um, and, but another important point is do it often. So post every day. Don't just post once and say anytime someone wants to come join here because those don't feel as inviting. It's posting daily and having that human touch, the, the sort of wabi-sabi feel like, okay, yes, this is an ugly invitation to join me, but this is what I have. <laughs> And, uh, and you can find me here. And then when someone asks, if they DM you, send the link to the Open to Guest channel, forward that to them instead of replying with the address. Yeah, here you're showing an awareness of a data path, like a human level data path. Mm-hmm. 100% get it. Okay, 
do you want to say anything about Artium? Like, we're, so part of this whole thing is like, what is up with pivots? Who has a shop? Are they hiring? Yeah. Like, what do you want to say about Artium? Sure. Yeah. So I'm working for Artium now. Um, Artium is a consultancy. We we hire or we work for other companies doing uh, building software, transforming teams. Um, I I think uh, I, I, we would love to work with you, um, and uh, and I. And I think we have a pretty unique offering. So I, uh, if you want to uh, reach out to 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 me or to uh, Ross, I think uh, I think who else in in the Pivotal Alumni Slack, you can find them, Ross Hale, or you can or you can go to our website, uh, com and find us there. Awesome. And so, what would you say to pivots about Artium? How, if you worked in the San Francisco office, what would you find variant at Artium? I think you would find uh, Artium to be a really healthy culture. It's uh, it's got a lot of the things that I loved about um, working at Pivotal, and um, and we are. I, I think we're kind of leading edge of establishing remote. Um, XP. I don't know that anybody else is quite doing what we're doing, and uh, and I'm, I'm asking around. So uh, I'm I'm there. I'm not planning to leave anytime soon. So come join me. <laughs> awesome, Joshua. Thank you so much for joining us on Radio Free XP. Uh, it uh, this just it makes it makes my life to be able to to articulate this for people because people who haven't experienced it are going to want to, and they can't understand it without hearing a personal expression of it so thank you so much for that thank you tony i really appreciate you doing this this is uh this is really fun great well we'll do it again uh, we'll i think we should go through a whole set of what do you do to spread remote xp i think that's the next that's the next one yeah absolutely all right it's a date all right joshua cool. talk to you soon talk to you soon bye tony and we're out awesome man just awesome you know, you should consider if you're not publishing, like, or or just work with Nat. You know, I'm a huge fan of Nat. I I think they've yeah. they've got such a clear, an, an honest take, right? A clear and honest take on what we did. Yeah, and yeah, I just I'm, talked with them, them like right before this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you told me you were, and so you know, I. I talked with them last week and, you know, I'm about to publish yeah. th- their pairing journey model. So I have three yeah. pair, I have three pairing journeys to go out. You, J-Ro and Nat. Yeah. And so it's, it's awesome. I, I, I love, I love the way that you, uh, that you talked or like invited me to share the whole pairing journey. And I, I can, I can go, I can go a lot deeper on a lot of those, um, things too. Cause, uh, um, yeah, it's, it definitely changed my life. I mean, I consider every, there's like a handful of things that have changed my life. Going to Japan was one of them <laughs> and working at Pivotal was another. Um, and uh, You enter so, a, a new dimensionality. I mean, there's no, I, yeah. I, I, like people, I, I know I sound crazy to people. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. you go from three-dimensional thinking to 12-dimensional thinking. And they're like, yeah, gee, many crickets, man. Like, I, you know. I got nowhere it's, to put that. Like. <laughs> I'm pairing with someone. This past week, um, I started pairing with someone who had never heard of pairing. Um, and his, I, I'm just watching him go through the experience of realizing what this is. And he's, his eyes are wide open and he's just blown away. And, I, and I'm like, oh, oh, I'm so sad that I'm going to be leaving you in a week. <laughs> because I want to show you more and like help you understand because it's, it's a, it is a, um, uh, well, we're leaving the engagement and, uh, and it's the comp, the, the company kind of ran out of money, I, I think, or is in a little bit of financial trouble, but, um, but yeah, it's, it is the kind of thing that does change the way you view everything really. Yeah. I, it, it, it changed me. It, it channeled me into a, I don't even know what to call it. I, uh, I, I think, I don't know, they call it enlightened leadership or enlightened capitalism mm-hmm. or something like that. I'm still a total capitalist. Like I, you know, mm-hmm. partially because people, people love working and they love working on meaningful things. 
yeah. and finding things that is val- are valuable to other people is how you determine if it's meaningful, right? And so yes, I, I love all that. But the management models I learned as I was grow, you know, as I was working in the Bay Area were, you know, they were like backstabbing, psychopathic based mm-hmm. kinds of things. Yeah, and I arrived there, and it was the only place that didn't practice psychopathy as a base as a baseline model. It's so true. Yeah. Uh, and it's sad, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, Boston didn't quite have the level of psychopathy, but it did have a bad, <laughs> it just, I, I didn't like, um, I didn't like working there. The culture was very different. San Francisco culture was easier for me, but, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I, I think, I, I've I've struggled my whole career with like should I be going up into management or should I be staying as an IC? But I keep staying as an IC because I love working on a team and I, I'm I like leading from the bottom. It's just trying to that sometimes I disagree with what leadership is doing, but I I love the the people I get to work with and working with those people and showing them what I know so much that I can't really bring myself to distance myself from that unless it's for them. If I'm doing it to try and help them, then that's a different thing. I mean, th- this whole thing, me trying to actually have conversations outside of the company is because I care. It's not because, um, it's not because I, uh, uh am doing it for myself. I, I don't really want to publish. <laughs> yeah. I just want people to know how to yeah. do it. Yeah, well, I I feel like it, it. I wanted to do this as soon as I left. I'm like, this place has to be articulated, right? It just it has to be described. And mm-hmm. you know, I took my whatever three year bounce around, and here I am. And it's the most valuable thing I do right now. Mm. And everyone does want to talk about it, but no one wants to do the production. Like, okay, well, we Jesse and I have run the loop. You know, Jesse Alford is working with me on this, and so. We've run, mm. we've run the ugly iterations and now, you know, I could turn, I could turn this conversation around in about 15 minutes. Mm. And as long as we're yeah. disciplined on the front and the exit, yeah. all you do is clip the front and the back and, and you're publishing. And, yeah. for, and for a pivotal audience, I, I don't, it. yeah. And the whole thing is, this is for pivots. Like yeah. if other people listen for now, great. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I need to run a couple seasonal iterations here. Yeah. And see if any pivots even care. Like for me, yeah. you know, uh, you could share the um, the editing stuff as an open to guest. By the way, people yeah, might I, join you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other thing is this thing that we're using, Squadcast. It has a backstage, and so you could also post the backstage, and you can promote people to stage and back and forth, right? And they can That's chat awesome. and the whole. Yeah. So this thing, which is which comes with a descript subscription. This whole thing is a literal stage all set up for what you want to do. I thought about I, if, if, I had, if I had known, I would have posted the backstage for this conversation in Open to Guests. I, mm. I didn't clear it with you first and things like that, but I assume, given your point of view, that, that would be fine. That would have been fine, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll do, that. we'll do that for next time. Here, uh, awesome. serious, serious, man, think, think about how to put what you're talking about into a an outlined or whatever structure you like mm-hmm. so that, so that we can articulate it step by step. You give me the list and then I'll try to stay, I'll try to stay on. Okay. And yeah. And, and then, and then it's articulated and then there's a place like you can go and you we yeah. can answer questions from it and the whole nine yards. Awesome. Yeah. Next time um, I'll be happy to, to do something more, uh, a little more structured this time. I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm, you know, uh, it's the first time I've talked to you since Pivotal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been it's been years. Yeah, and I apologize for not like getting normally. Uh, the problem there's scheduling is a problem mm-hmm. because you, you, there's only so much time. Um, I know. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, all of that. So, um, but I'm happy to catch up now if you want. <laughs> it's, te- it's, um, the, I, it's the top of the I hour. I want to. Too. Yeah, <laughs> I want to, but I, I think I need to actually go to my client today oh my, my last day on the project all right this afternoon i am wiping my laptop <laughs> oh yeah from them from them all right yeah. we'll po- post it on and i don't my afternoon i think is going to be going toward family here um mm-hmm. but but post it uh, and i'll catch you up on what i'm doing you know i could i could certainly i'll, I'll post in 
I understand now better how to use hmm. uh, guest invited or open to guests. Yeah. Open to guests, uh, and so I understand better how to use it now. And so I will. I I commit to using it because I need a, a pair. <laughs> a, a pair is very helpful to me. So that's awesome. Oh man, I, I love it. <laughs> Please do, um, and I'll, I'll join if I can. <laughs> All right. Perfect. All right. All right, Joshua, we'll talk soon, man. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free XP. If you're interested in helping with graphics, bumper music, or other aspects of production, or if you'd like to be on the show, please contact Jesse Alford or Tony Hansman on the Pivotal Alum Slack. You can also reach us via email at jesse.alford at pm.me or precept at gmail.com, respectively. 